You are listening to Good Monkey, a sermon series by Pastor Bay Allen. Hello, everybody. Wow, y'all are sleepy. We do have coffee back there, right, George? We got coffee. Um, it's great to be with you today. I'm Pastor Bay, um, and it is just awesome to be with you in the house of the Lord today. Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. If you're a mother, say woot woot. And I'm saying say woot woot because this is the one day where you can uh, go to whatever restaurant you want to go to and have whatever meal at home that you want and hopefully you won't have to keep serving like seconds before you get your first and all that. So so make it a good happy Mother's Day all around. Um, today we are in the second week of our Good Monkey series, which we started last week. Uh, and I heard some people say, I really like that story about the monkey. Um, and I hate to disappoint you, but the series, it's not about monkeys. You know, even, even, even though we have, we have little sock monkeys, I hope you will bring these. This one's going to find its way into the hands of someone who could probably really use a little bit of God's love in their life. Um, so at the end of the series, we're going to be delivering sock monkeys to the hospitalized and the shut-ins. It's a great, great way to share some love. So we'll, we'll let those monkeys, as they come in, just kind of absorb God's love in a sanctuary, and then we'll take them out into the world. Uh, but bring them with you. But the series isn't so much about monkeys as it's about us. Um, and the bulk of us have heard things like monkey see, monkey do um, over the years. And there's not a whole lot of, I, I searched, there's not a lot of scriptures in the Bible for monkeys. So I picked a really bad series. You know. um, but you'll see like statues of monkeys covering their eyes, covering their mouth, covering their ears. You know, be careful little eyes, what you see. That was last week. Be careful little ears, what you hear is what we're going to get into this week. Um, so we're just going to jump right in. I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles or an applicable app on your smartphones or tablet to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And as we invite the Word of God to prepare our hearts this morning to receive what God has for us to receive, today's scripture is also on the screen for your convenience. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now many of us, if we get down to it, we probably want to be something that we are not. We want to be something that we are not. It's true most of us are gathered in this place because we want to be more like Christ. We want to be more like Christ, and therefore we want to be something that we're not. Most Americans, to be honest, most humans suffer from the same ailment. We want what we are not, which also means we are constantly battling this great weight of not achieving. We hear the word say, or the world say, I'm sorry, do this, do this, and then do that. So we hear what we need to do, but we don't do it. We can't do it. Sometimes we shouldn't do it. And it weighs down on us sometimes. It's kind of like living in a dream. Anna Freud, Sigmund Freud's youngest daughter, uh, said, In our dreams we can have our eggs cooked exactly the way that we want them. But we can never taste them. We can never eat them. Sometimes we, we want to live in a dream, never realizing that our dreams never looked like a nightmare until the realness took place. We don't really even want what is in our dreams sometimes. 
Oftentimes they scare the daylights out of us, which is why they happen at night. So we can keep them locked away in a safe little box and then just come back to our pillow and see them once a night. And I ask, can dream and reality share the same space? What would it look like? It could make us uneasy. It can make our dreams uneasy. It can never be the same. So probably the only reference today to monkeys. It's easy for us to sometimes just keep those monkeys in their cage. When two entirely different things come in uh, to play face to face, it can change everything. I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. That's a little picture. It's an older picture of Jesus. Uh, That's actually in the Sermon of the Mount. Um, Now I'm going to tell you a story. This isn't in the Bible, but here's a little parable. Jesus was once teaching in a town outside of Jerusalem. From the midst of this crowd, a rich man approached Jesus and said, "What, What must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus said, You're a wealthy man, a successful man. You've spent every waking hour ensuring the success of your company. You've built it up from the ground up. You've made wise decisions with your investments, both with time and with money. And as a result, the world looks to you for secrets of success. The businessman, you know, he was honored that Jesus knew such awesome things about him, such favorable information, because after all, he was quite proud of these things. And Jesus continued, you are one of the most successful men the world has ever seen. Ah, Now the businessman, you know, he had heard Jesus speak a few times and he started to he started to figure out where this was going. And his smile started to kind of turn into a frown and he got a little quiet and and he interrupted Jesus and said, is this where you asked me to sell everything? Everything and follow you. Jesus looked at him calmly like a loving mother looking at a child, said, no, that's not what I ask of you. Here's what I say to you. I'm going to give you six months to devise a plan to actually take everything with you from your vast empire that is worthy of lasting forever and eternity. And after that time, I will return and invite you into eternity. Jesus left the businessman to his work, and and six months passed, and Jesus returned, and he found the businessman. He goes up to him, and he says, follow me. And the businessman, he he had all kinds of stuff with him. He had notebooks. He had spreadsheets. You name it. And he said, said, Jesus, I've tried my best. Look at all the work that I've done. I, I haven't hardly eaten or slept since you gave me this task. I've got it all figured out. And the man was pulling out his papers, his graphs, and his diagrams. And he was going to show Jesus the plan that he formulated to only take that which was worthy of eternity from his, from his vast empire, the things that were really great. But Jesus had already turned and walked away. Ascending into heaven, leaving the businessman with his work, silent, wondering why Jesus left him behind. Sometimes we fail to listen. Sometimes we fail to listen, don't we? We get distracted. We we hear what we want to hear. And in this parable that I shared, this made-up encounter, we saw Jesus confronted by the successful man And the man that others looked to for advice confronted Jesus. Jesus gave a simple response. Six months to devise a plan. Take everything from your vast empire worthy of lasting forever with you. 
And the parable actually parallels an encounter in the Bible. In Matthew 19, we see um, where Jesus is confronted by a well-to-do man and essentially says, get rid of everything and follow me. And the man walks away in shame. Uh, Let's look at this. Uh, Go forward two more slides. There it is, right there, right there. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, why ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Uh, Honor your father and mother. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. The man said, I obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Do you see the connections between our little parable, our little story and this encounter that Jesus had? In today's parable, our businessman had six months to figure out how to take everything worthy into eternity. Six months. It's like being, it's like being told, okay, you got six months to live. And then all of a sudden you hear this country song kick on. Skydiving, Rocky Mountain Climber, 6.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. You've heard it, right? What do you do? What are you going to do? And the crux of this story, this parable, is that the only thing of worth... It was the man, the man himself. When Jesus returned and said, follow me, he just stood there with his spreadsheets and grids. Jesus went up into eternity. The simple story brings out the fact many of us are interested in our empire and our success more than going into the eternity Jesus offers us. When the businessman heard Jesus say six months to discern what is worthy of eternity, he never imagined that none of the stuff he had done was of worth. That thought never crossed his mind. I mean, this was his life work. He couldn't hear that. He, he wouldn't hear such a message. Instead, he wasted his time. He just heard, figure out what to take. Instead of, when I return, I will invite you to come along. That's what he heard. And we often do this. We hear the wrong thing because we hear what we want. We hear what we want to hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. We often do this in our lives. We we get so task-oriented that we fail to hear the truth which is right in front of us all along. If we fail to hear what is actually being spoken, we get task-oriented, don't we? It distracts us from hearing properly. An example of this is the young married couple, or the young couple that says, you know, we'll have kids once we get married. Once we get married, we're going to have kids. And good for them for waiting. You should wait. No. But they wait, right? They get married. And then uh, they get married, and it's, oh, once Bill Bill finishes school, we're going to have kids. We're going to have kids. So Bill graduates. Uh, Once Bill gets a good job... (laughs) Once Bill gets a good job, we're going to have kids. Once we save a nest egg, we're going to have kids. Pretty soon, 15 years have passed. 
And now it's once we get the good doctor so that we can have the proper fertility pills, we're going to have kids. You know, once we can uh, afford uh, this procedure, this in vitro to get done, then we'll have kids. And you see what happens pretty soon. The task list required to have kids is the very thing that prevents them from having kids. It's a catch-22. Proverbs tells us, don't boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. In our parable today, in our lives, that six months wasn't so much to look and assess what was worthy to take along into heaven. The six months was to come to terms with the fact that none of that earthly stuff was worthy, that only the businessman himself was worthy. And only if he decided to actually go with Jesus when Jesus said, come. All you had to do was go. Now, some of you may think that we've strayed from our focal verse of the day, but let's reel it in a little bit. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into her and dine with her and she with me. This is our scripture for the day. And what if there was a door right here? Use your imagination a little bit. There's a door right here in front of us. And this whole time, you know, someone was behind it knocking. Let me out. Let me out. Let me in. Let me out. Let me in. A little bit of both. Maybe you heard a let me out. Maybe you heard a let me in. You didn't even notice that was there this whole time I was talking, did you? Did any of you hear that? No, it was going on this whole time. It really was. This imagination. I have a two-year-old. But anyway, this door's been going on this whole time. And we didn't hear him. We paid no notice whatsoever. And when we finally opened the door, we see someone standing there. It's your worst enemy. Your worst enemy. Right there. Your worst enemy is standing right there. Whoever that is for you. If you have someone that you just can't stand being around. What if it was them on the other side of that door that we just opened up? And around their neck there hung a sign that says, has it all together? Has it all together? How would that make you feel? Uncomfortable. I'm with you. Would it change you a little bit? What would happen if just when you thought you had it all together, you realized that you didn't? We oftentimes act like we have it all together. And as long as the door remains closed, as long as we can pretend not to hear the cries of that which is different from us, then we're good. We do have it all together. As long as we keep up the charade. We don't have to confront our own inadequacy of not having it all together as long as we keep the door closed. But when we open that door and we see that which is our enemy, even in their brokenness, they have it all together? What? I know this can be unsettling, but imagine with me that now the door is open. They are now a part of us. And you can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unhear what you've heard. If this person from the other side of the door truly has it all together, this also means none of us do. 
since we're on different sides of the door. If they're on the side that has it all together, none of us do. But wait a minute. Because now that they're here with us, and now that they're a part of us, we're a part of them. And in our not having it all together, we're reminded we do have it all together when we come together. When we come together. And I like deep conversations, so I can stray quite a bit. But you ever think about how complete and incomplete are not truly complete without the other? That moment where lack takes on its own presence. Have you ever had a void in your life that had substance to it? An emptiness that had presence? And I've heard couples say, we were, when we were at our most broken, that's when we felt the most love for one another. And I've heard people say, we were happier when we were poor. We were happier when we were poor. And so often we want a God who fixes our world, who fixes our problems. But what if God isn't so much here to fix our brokenness, but to reveal it? What if God isn't here to bury our pain, but to help us bear our pain? This is why Jesus was crucified after all. He wasn't the picture perfect Messiah. But the true one, the true Messiah. Remember, Christ entered into the brokenness of our world. The Jews, they wanted a Messiah that would erase the pain. And Christ seemed to embrace the pain, didn't he? Suffered under the broken system of society. You say it in the Apostles' Creed, suffered under Pontius Pilate. I mean, that word suffer is real. Even to the point of the cross. The face of salvation suffered. What kind of message is that for people that are looking for a Messiah? For a Savior? Because when we enter into Christ, we in fact enter into that very thing that so many of us spend our lives trying to run away from. To run to Christ is, in many ways, to run toward crucifixion. The Bible says, take up your cross and follow. And Christ had pain. Christ had suffering. Christ didn't run away from it. Now, the mystery of the gospel is that this is good news. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, for many years, I heard this verse and I focused on the peace, which I think it's right for us to focus on the peace at times. I focused on the taking heart, which you can be great for us to focus on being able to take heart because Christ has overcome the world. But Christ is also telling us that we will have trials. We will have sorrow. And so to experience the peace or the victory would be meaningless without the trials or the sorrow. This hard stuff that we need to come to terms with. And I realize it's hard for us to hear, I don't want to experience pain. I don't want you to experience pain. I don't want any of you to. No one wants pain. Even Jesus said, Father, if there's a way that this cup can be passed from me, please take take it. I don't want it. In Gethsemane, Jesus said that. But just because no one wants the pain doesn't mean we can ignore it altogether. Christ can't be with you in your pain if you refuse to acknowledge it. So be honest. 
Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. To experience healing, you have to go through the sickness. The brokenness for restoration. You need to know that you're sick. A cancer patient who is healed, that's a much stronger testimony than someone who goes undiagnosed and is healed. They were both healed miraculously by God. But the one who acknowledged that and allowed God to come beside them in that healing, much stronger testimony. Again, it goes back, what do we listen to? Most of, us, most of us have spent our entire lives listening to a form of a prosperity gospel, which can leave us feeling like if we experience pain or if we experience loss or suffering, we did something wrong. Some of us have been taught that since we were little. It's because you did this that that happened. You know, we, we face things in our minds like God doesn't love me. We fall into a rhetoric of I let God down. When the fact is we were never holding God up to begin with. We couldn't let God down. God was holding us up the whole time. Now what if this person on the other side of this imaginary door, what if this person is Jesus knocking, let me out, let me in, let me in. Jesus, what if who we look at as being different what if they're Jesus? You ever wonder why he always showed up in the least of these? Jesus always showed up in the least of these. The hungry, the homeless. Whoever told us that, you know, we need to be independent. Who sold us that idea? Because in the church, we're called to interdependence. The core of family contradicts independence. Perhaps what we need to do as the church is this. We need to just knock the door over altogether. Just get rid of it. Take it out. There's no door. That way we can see that we're both in and out at the same time. There's no in crowd. There's no out crowd. Right? There's no in or out. God is here. God is here. The door is broken down. That's not an out crowd. God is there. God is helping us realize that we're all crying no matter what side of the door we're on. No matter what side of the door we find ourselves on, Jesus helps us confront our crying, our failures, also our success, our victories. Jesus helps us confront all of that in honesty. What have you been allowing your ears to hear? Shut out the pain, pretend it isn't there. What have you allowed your ears to hear? And I also ask, what is worthy to take with you into eternity? You. You. Following Jesus means saying goodbye to checklists or to-dos. It's not about what we do, it's about what he's done. Jesus pointed this out to the Pharisees. I'm closing up. I know I've been talking for a while. Jesus pointed this out. Jesus said, you worship with your mouths, but your heart is far from me. Jesus said, you brood of vipers. <laughs> Lip service is not something to take into eternity. It's not about the checklist, about looking the part. None of that stuff will have a place in heaven. But you know what will? You. You do have a place 
if you can let it go and follow when Jesus says follow. To have it all together means to be connected to the fact that none of us have it all together. No matter how successful we may or may not appear, alone we do not have it all together. We think we need to have it all together. We don't. In Christ, I pray that you come to understand that in paradise, that in eternity, in heaven, it doesn't matter that you don't have it all together. Because eternity in Jesus means the phrase to be complete. Takes on a meaning that being complete here on earth never could understand. Let those with ears to hear, hear. Jesus said, drop your nets. Drop your comfort zone. Drop your Starbucks. Drop your hanging out at the gym. Drop your football games on a Sunday afternoon. Follow me. Follow me. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we just thank you for the way that you're with us in the midst of whatever difficulties we may face. Give us the integrity and the honesty and the courage to not just let it be pushed down to a point where it doesn't come up to the surface and we can appear that everything is neat, everything is tidy, and we can keep it in a box. We were free. <laughs> we were set free. Don't let us put things in cages like that. Let us hear your knock. Let us hear the cries of our neighbors. And when we need it the most, let us hear you say, I love you. I love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Your praise will ever be on my lips. And the beautiful thing about something like that always being on your lips is that I think people are going to hear it. <laughs> I think people are going to be able to hear the praise even from the midst of the storm. There's that song, I praise you in the storm. That is a beautiful thing. Because it's so easy not to praise in the midst of the storm. So I pray that his praise will always be on your lips. And when you leave here, you will leave here praising God in all circumstances. And that others may hear. And that others may hear God in the midst of the brokenness. For we are children of light. And as such, we are to take that light into the world. So as you leave these doors, take that light with you. Take that praise on your lips. So that Jesus Christ may continue to transform the world that he broke into all those years ago. Go in peace. Go in love. Go in joy. Go in honesty. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.